Many of you know this, but a few weeks ago, I had an emergency appendectomy. Um, yeah, some of you did not know that. <laughs> By the way, um, I am incredibly stubborn when it comes to pain or admitting pain or getting medical help of any kind. But finally, after two days of ever-increasing pretty intense agony, um, I finally went to the emergency room. And there is nothing quite like the waiting room of an emergency room, yeah? Especially on a Saturday night where that is the literal only place to get medical care. So I show up, I am in a lot of pain, I am scared, and while I'm waiting in the checkout line, there's a homeless man directly in, for, in front of me with Tourette's, and there is an older woman behind me moaning and crying out in Spanish over and over for help. And it was in that environment that I sat for many hours. Now, when you think of an emergency waiting room, I'm sure that the word that comes to mind is not lovely or excellent or commendable. But when I look back at that night, I truly see that Jesus was all around. Women and men, there for their own hurts and needs, went out of their way to help the moaning woman. The staff, though clearly a little uncomfortable, uh, quickly and kindly cared for the man with Tourette's. There was a family in the corner, there for a child with a sports-related fracture, continuing their laughter and their friendly banter, uh, despite their surroundings. I saw parents caring for children. I saw children caring for their ailing parents. There was deep love and care everywhere in that room. You just had to raise your eyes from your own illness, from your own suffering, and take notice. I believe that Jesus created us to raise our eyes and notice the lovely, the commendable, the excellent in this world, and then to live those truths out to the world around us. Today, we're going to look at how Paul encouraged the Philippians to see the world around them, and I am hoping that through this passage and this time together, that Jesus will teach us how to focus our minds so that we encounter him and his peace in every moment of every day. So our passage today is Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Yay! Okay. Finally, brothers and sisters... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Jesus, I pray that you will open our minds and our hearts to these words today. Lord, help me to learn, help us all to learn what you would have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Sarah reminded us a couple of weeks ago when she preached, context is king. Paul has spent this entire letter to the Philippians urging them towards unity. He has reminded them of the love that Jesus has for them and has encouraged them to live that, to then love each other out of that identity. The confidence that comes from knowing that you are loved by the creator of the universe. 
And now we have his parting words to them. Finally. That word finally would have clued them into, if you have not listened to anything else in this entire letter, please, oh, please, oh, please listen to this. And so I encourage us this morning, please, oh, please, let's let's listen to what Paul has to say. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, this list would have been nothing new to the Philippians. In fact, it was very common um, for secular Greek scholars of the time to encourage people to live out these morals. You know, this first sentence could have been something they had heard Plutarch speak from the city's steps the previous day. Paul isn't calling them to anything new. Rather, he is reminding them that beauty lies not just in holy practices and in scripture, but in the city all around them. Now, the Philippian church was full of new believers of Jesus who all of a sudden were not accepted by their city, right? They were rejected, they were made fun of, they were being persecuted for this faith. I can imagine that through this rejection, they had begun to lose sight of any good in the city around them and instead were focused on the bad, the oppression, the greed, the violence, But Paul's repeated use of the word whatever, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, is to point them to the fact that he isn't asking them to look at the excellent and pure and lovely in their midst, or it, (laughs) I got to the wrong page. uh, He isn't asking them to look at the lovely and the pure in their midst or in the scriptures. Rather, he is asking them to look at the excellent and pure and lovely anywhere and everywhere. He was telling them, you do not need to work hard to find holy things to think about, to focus your eyes on. They are everywhere. All you have to do is lift your eyes. And as we look at our city, at our country, at the world around us, I think it's really easy, especially with the 24-7 news cycle, to be like the Philippians and only notice the bad. The greed, the violence, the oppression, the self-righteousness, the corruption, the pain at the loss of innocence. And friends, those things are real and those things are here, but that's not all there is. As Christians, we get to notice, encourage, and lift up the beauty of this city. Now, for any of you who grew up around the same time as me and grew up in the church, uh, you might have been encouraged to separate yourself from the world, right? Focus only on Jesus only have Christian friends, read only Christian novels, definitely nothing about the evil wizards, right? Um, You cannot watch that movie, but you can watch all of the Pure Flix-approved movies, right? Separate yourself so you cannot be swayed by the world. But Paul is encouraging us to take in the beauty of the world. Embrace it. Don't reject it all as sin or lies and corruption, greed, 
Look for Jesus in this city. Look for the virtue of God in God's world. It is still his creation and he is everywhere in it. He is in the coworker who is passionate about social justice and is always trying to get everyone else in your workplace to come alongside, right? Um, he is in the movie that's written by a staunch atheist but centers around the themes of community and connection and commitment. He is in scientific breakthroughs, moon landings, babies being born, and neighbors tending their gardens. Jesus is everywhere. A few ways that I really experienced Jesus in my own life, to give a few examples, um, I love nature and I see Jesus in nature all the time. Um, and specifically here in Los Angeles, when I encounter the ocean, the vastness and the power of the ocean, I, have, I am overwhelmed by the vastness and the beauty of God. When I go on my daily walks and I see um, in all of the flowers, just the vastness, uh, all the creativity and the nuances and the different aromas and the different colors, I'm overwhelmed by the fact that Jesus literally created these flowers for us to enjoy those things right? I'm very lucky. Um, I have a boss who at the beginning of every meeting starts it with, what's good? No matter how stressed we are at work, no matter what's going on, we stop and we go around in a circle and we share what is good. And it forces us to lift our eyes from whatever is frustrating in our own lives and point out something good. And she is literally pointing us to Philippians 4 at the beginning of every meeting. Uh, my husband, Ian, he works at Tony P's in the marina. He's a bartender there. And over and over, time and time again, we have been met with intense generosity from regulars who have become friends and family. They have lavished on him and on us and on our family things um, as varied as like home-cooked meals to new speakers to trips to Universal Studios. They model for us the generosity of Jesus. Frank Thielman, a New Testament scholar, said it this way. People other than Christians recognize Christian standards of morality and beauty. And when they do, Christians should support them, learn from them, and take comfort that what Christians acknowledge to be right on the basis of God's word the rest of the world often acknowledges to be right on the basis of their own understanding of how the world and society function best. And why does the world and society function best that way? Because that's how God designed it to be. And we get to acknowledge that. We get to notice, encourage, and lift up the beauty in this city and point to God and his plan for creation. It's a beautiful gift. But once we notice the honorable, the commendable, is that where we're supposed to stop? Paul continues and he says, think on these things. Focus on these things. Dwell on these things. And if we're honest, I think that once we notice the good, if we notice the good, we often let our eyes and our hearts slide back into easy distractions endless scrolling, Netflix binging, and anything else we use to numb ourselves. So please, 
Look to whatever is good, noble, beautiful, and dwell on those things. But in truth, there is another side. The reality of this world is that not everything is good and noble and beautiful. The truth is that while there is loveliness in our city, there is also darkness. And as Christians, we also must acknowledge and call out the lies and darkness of the city. If I'm honest, I do not like calling out sin or evil. Um, It makes me incredibly uncomfortable. I'm sure none of y'all can relate. Uh, From far away, sure, or something very clear, like, wow, that politician, super corrupt, yep. Or um, y'all can insert whoever you want in there. Like, um, or the clear evils that occur in war, right? There are some very clear things we can all, I think, call out. But in my own life or in the lives of my friends, no thank you. What about you? Do you ignore the evil? Have you become desensitized by it, letting it pass by without naming it? Or do you actively indulge in the evil, being seduced by the ease, the excitement, or the numbing power of it all? Because if there's honorable, then there is dishonorable. If there is pure, then there is impure. If there is justice, there is corruption. And the first step to not becoming seduced by it is to name it, to call it out for the sin and darkness that it is. And there is rampant darkness in this city. The dehumanization of others, the worship of status and power, neglect of children, and also quieter, simpler things, hopelessness, a growing belief that nothing can change, the pursuit of comfort and ease as paramount, selfishness. Has your heart accepted these things as the way life is? Or does it burn? Does it burn at injustice? Does it burn at hopelessness? I believe if we are steeped in the good, if we are looking at the pure and the commendable, then when we see the impure and the dishonorable, our hearts will burn and we will be able to name it and see it for what it is. Friends, I invite us all to look at our lives. What do you think about? What does your mind wander to when it's relaxed? What do you listen to, watch, scroll through? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it holy? Is it bringing you closer to Jesus? Is it pointing you to the beauty in his creation? Or is it pulling you down into the darkness? In the things of the world that we lift our eyes to see, I encourage you to really ask yourself, is this pointing me to Jesus and his holiness? Or am I sinking into confusion, lies, guilt? I want to offer a quick aside and acknowledge that some of you might currently be in a season of hopelessness, a season of depression, 
a season of wait. Maybe you hear me saying, just lift your eyes, and you're like, I can't. I'm not asking you to muscle through it. I am not asking you to do more and try harder. Rather, please ask Jesus to lift your eyes. Just ask him. He wants to. He wants you to see his goodness. And he will. And he might not do it all at once, but minute by minute and day by day, he will slowly lift your eyes until you can experience his goodness. If you are struggling, Jesus sees you. And whether you feel it tangibly right now, the truth is that he desperately loves you. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And that's the crux. Ask Jesus. If you are truly seeking him, his spirit will convict you of anything you're focusing on that is not in his will. This has happened in my life many times. Uh, There have been seasons in my life where I have read novel after novel and binge-watched shows and been perfectly at peace. And then there have been seasons where God has very clearly said, no, not now. Um, To the point where like, I will know that like, nope, I don't want you to watch that right now. And I will try to turn it on and technology will just fail me. Like over and over until I'm like, fine, Jesus, fine. What do you want me to do right now? Um, Not always a spirit of peace. Uh, But this really has happened to me where he has been like, hey, he's... uh, He has asked me to not watch a show or not watch a specific show or to stop reading novels for a time. But he has always filled this space with something, right? He has pointed me to scripture. He has pointed me to biographies of saints. He's pointed me to time in prayer. And every single time that he has done this, the time has not been wasted and it has always been for my good. And that time has always been more fruitful than binge-watching Gilmore Girls or The West Wing for the 17th time. And I am not knocking those shows. They are excellent, and Jesus has shown me goodness and the evil in the world through them. But it's probably not what he always has for me. Um, When I truly take the time and ask him, what would you have me do with this time? He really does often make it clear. In 1 Corinthians 6, 12, Paul shares, everything is lawful for me, but not everything is beneficial. We have freedom in Christ to spend our time on anything we desire, but ask yourself and ask him, what is beneficial? So, once you've lifted your eyes and seen Jesus in every corner of the city, and once you have lifted your eyes and acknowledged the evil in the city and our daily lives, What then? Paul continues his letter with, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. We have an active part to play. We get to now practice these things, not just think on them, but put them into practice. 
What's fun here is that scientifically, what you think about affects your actions. What you think about and dwell on affects your emotions, and that in turn changes and affects your behaviors. And Jesus knew this, right? He created us this way. He knows that's how we work, which is why he tells us here to think about beautiful things. And once those have permeated our minds, then he tells us to put them into practice. We get to put into practice what the Philippians learned and received from Paul. And what did they learn from him? What has he taught them through his visits, through his letters? The truth about Jesus how he lived, loved, died, rose again, and then called them to go out and care for others. We also get to put into practice what they've seen in Paul. And what have they seen in him? What have we seen in him as we've been studying this letter? Perseverance through hardship, encouragement of the saints, service to others, love and a deep passion for Jesus, boldness in telling others about Jesus and the good news of his salvation, even in the midst of persecution, even under the threat of death. What we focus on is what we do. Ian and I had the privilege of watching two sets of friends begin their foster care journey about 10 years ago. We saw their love for humanity, their service, their sacrifices. We saw how Jesus was meeting them and guiding them, and our hearts began to soften to the idea. Our eyes were lifted to both the beauty and obedience and care of others, and also to the darkness of the need for the neglected children in our city. And the more we looked, the more we focused on that, the more our hearts began to burn. And God used that. He moved in our hearts to care for and love not only the children that came into our home, but also their biological parents. And here we are, seven years later, with two beautiful children who we are beyond honored to call our sons. But we could have missed that. We could have been too focused and bogged down by our own agendas. We could have chosen comfort and ease. Now, not every change is going to be that drastic. Not every lesson from God or change of heart will be that life-altering. God tells us that every time we focus on the beauty of his world, it is used for our good and for his glory. What we focus on is what we do. We focus on God's goodness. We are going to participate in his goodness in our midst. If we focus on God's graciousness towards us, we will be gracious to others. If we focus on, how, on service and how we have been served, we will serve others. What we focus on is what we do. In one of our meetings of the preaching cohort, as we were talking about these verses, someone thought it would be funny to try and put this verse into a Venn diagram because who doesn't want to see an eight-item Venn diagram on a Sunday morning? Yeah! Let's do it! 
All right, we're going to start with just a couple. We're going to start with excellent and lovely. Thank you, Brad, for this beautiful graphic. Um, We could all name so many things to put in the center of that, right? There are so many beautiful things that that are, what are the two, lovely and excellent. But because of who I am and what I love, I'm going to put the Dodgers there, yeah? Okay, the recent trade withstanding. They are so, but like good. It was good. Shohei Atani, thank you. Um, But if anybody knows, it's very exciting. Yes. Okay. But they are excellent. Like the players are very good at what they do. The management staff is incredibly talented. And the way that they develop their players through the farm system, I would argue is unparalleled in any other MLB team. They are excellent. Also, their costumes are really pretty. (laughs) So we've got excellent and lovely. But if we started to add others, if, say, we added in honorable or we added in just, they would start to fall out of the center of that Venn diagram. Even if you look at um, how the Dodgers came into the Chavez Ravine, right? And how that displaced many people from their homes. It is not just. So it falls away. All right. We're going to add in another one, I think, worthy of praise. So here in Los Angeles, something near and dear to our hearts, right? I would say that Disneyland, okay? It is worthy of praise, right? A lot of people praise it. And it is excellent the way that they craft things. It's very excellent. However, with the lines, the prices, and how there are children literally melting down at every corner of that park, it is not lovely to me. And we just keep going, right? We're adding in just and pure and commendable. We're adding in honorable, excellent, right? We, are, we have all of these things. We've got worthy of praise in there. What could actually be at the center of this jumble of goodness, right? What can actually be there? What lives up to all of these things, pure, just, lovely, commendable? The only thing, the only person who can be described as all of these things is Jesus. Who in his life displayed truth, honor, justice, purity, loveliness, commendability, excellence, and worthiness to be praised? Jesus. Who were the Greek scholars like Plutarch ultimately pointing to when they called people to this list of morals? Jesus. Jesus, who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus, who is called the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. Jesus, who left his kingdom in heaven to become human a helpless baby in his mother's arms. Jesus, who lived a sinful life and was then sent to an excruciating death. Jesus, who accepted that death willingly for the salvation of those he loved, for the salvation of the world. Jesus, who rose again on the third day and is seated at the right hand of God and for whom one day all knees will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. 
Friends, I invite us to look at our lives. Look at the city. What is true? What is honorable? What is just, pure? What is lovely, commendable, excellent? And how can you then practice these things? How can we embrace them and show them to the world? One way is just by noticing it, by calling it out, and then pointing it out to anyone and everyone, including your own heart. When we notice it, we are noticing the work of Christ in our city. Every bit of loveliness, every bit of purity, justice, honor is Christ at work in our city, in our friends, in our family, in our coworkers. We get to see Jesus reflected everywhere, and then we get to point it out. You look like Jesus. I see God's goodness in you. When you are patient with your kids, I'm reminded of how patient God is with me. Paul says that if we think on and practice these things, then the God of peace will be with us. What do we get if we orient our mind to the noble, pure, and true? What do we get if we practice, if we act on these thoughts? We get Jesus, the God of peace. I don't know about you, but I know for myself, with the state of the world, with the state of my own heart, I could use a lot more of the God of peace. And I have seen in my own life that when I truly focus my brain on Jesus and his peace, then his presence is exactly what I get. Jesus, I thank you that you are real. I thank you that you love us tenderly and desperately. I thank you for the way you created this world and you created our own minds and bodies to act and work. I pray that you would help us to see you, see your goodness everywhere. I pray that you would give us the courage to notice the sin and name it for what it is. And Lord, that you would give us the courage to see the good and name it for what it is, you and your work. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.